Good afternoon, we're in John chapter 2, we'll be reading from verse 13 to 22. John chapter 2 and verse 13. It's the well-known passage in the Gospels, in John's Gospel it's in a certain place, and in the Synoptic Gospels it's elsewhere. We'll come to that where Jesus cleanses the temple. So John 2 verse 13 the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he pulled out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. When you know somebody who's normally patient and gracious, eager to show love and tenderness, and that person seems off the charts angry, you had better pay attention. And if that is true with your wife or your husband or your friends, how much more urgent in that situation if the person is Jesus? If Jesus were to come today and be as upset with us as he was on that day, I hope we would be very anxious to understand why. Jesus is angry, making no mistake, and we know from the Bible, we know from the Bible well, that there is a difference between sinful anger, which is what most of us experience and show, and righteous anger, which is possible. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says very clearly, be angry and do not sin. So if it says be angry and do not sin, there must be a way to be angry and not sin. Though most of us, when we are angry, sin. Jesus is angry and he knew no sin, he did not sin. He is not flying off the handle in a fit of rage as we might do. And you can feel that kind of welling up within you and you just want to let it rip out of you onto someone else. That's not Jesus. His anger may have been premeditated. He may well have gone into the temple knowing full well what he would find. There is no doubt that Jesus is angry and we can see this clearly. Look at verses 15 and 16. A whole series of events. He makes a whip of cords, which isn't something you would do when you are feeling good. And not just the sheep and the oxen 
If you're going to get sheep out of a temple, you would need a whip. But notice what it says in verse 15. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. All out of the temple. All of the people out of the temple. The whip was not just for the animals. He was getting them all out of the temple. It says that he poured the coins out of the money changers. He emptied their bags. You can almost picture in the reading a dramatic scene that you may have seen in the films of somebody wiping their arm across a table and everything goes flying off. You know those scenes. But he doesn't just stop there. He gets this whip of cords. He dumps the money out of their bags. And then he flips over the tables. And at the end of verse 16, Jesus orders them all out. Take them away. He says specifically to those who sold the pigeons. Why to those who sold the pigeons or the doves? Because you can't whip the doves out. They are in cages. The sheep, the oxen, they're on the way out. And he says to those who are selling the doves and the pigeons in cages that they are you too. Why is the Lord Jesus so upset? Why so dramatic in his response? Well, you need to understand something of the context. In verse 13, it is the Passover, which is one of the high points of the Jewish calendar, where they commemorated their departure from Egypt. At the Passover, they would have had throngs of people coming into the temple. It's one of the pilgrimage feasts. There may well have been 500,000 people from Judea, Galilee, and from the Jewish diaspora, pilgrims, who came by command of Old Testament law to present an offering on one of the high holy days, Passover being one of those. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims streaming into the temple to celebrate Passover. If you're a student of John's Gospel, you'd have noticed this cleansing or the clearing of the temple is in a different place than it is in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. We refer to that at the outset. So there is a bit of a long-standing debate about the chronology, the, the timing of this event, the chronological details of the event. In John's Gospel, chronologically, it is at the beginning of his ministry. In the other three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, it's at the end, just before his arrest and betrayal. So which one is it? Some say it's John's, it's John's timing. Matthew, Mark and Luke place, place it thematically at the end because it shows how upset they were with Jesus. Others say Matthew, Mark and Luke have the timing right. And John doesn't give a clear chronological marker. And it's possible that John could be telling the story at the beginning of the story, even though it happened at the end. Well, there is a third option, and that is that Jesus did it on more than one occasion. That Jesus did it on two different occasions. That's a minority opinion but it's the one that I commend to you. 
I think there's a lot to commend it to you. Jesus cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry and at the end. Now, it's not unusual what would happen at Passover, since that's the main time that Jesus would have been in Jerusalem. He would have come with his disciples to present his offering as a practicing Jew. It would seem strange that John would place it at the beginning out of order because John has been so careful about noting the different feasts. He does this several times. Passover he mentions in chapter 2 verse 13. In chapter 5 and verse 1 he mentions another feast of the Jews. He mentions another Passover in John 6 verse 4. In John 7 verse 2 he mentions the feast of the booths, tabernacles. In John 10 22 he mentions the feast of dedication. And in chapter 11 verse 55 he mentions Passover once again. At least three times John talks about Passover. It seems to be year 1, 2 and 3 of the Lord's public ministry. Not to say he could not be doing this out of order, that wouldn't have been a mistake, but it would have been strange in light of John's deliberate way of recording. John seems to be noting the feasts. And the other Gospels, the accounts are not identical. They're similar, but not the same. In the other Gospels, they have Jesus mentioned in the den of robbers, a house of prayer, and only here does it mention the whip of cords. And then there is another reason to think that this happened more than once, because of what we read in Jesus' arrest and betrayal. Mark 14, for example, it says some stood up to bear false witness against him before his crucifixion. Mark 14, 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Now you can go back and read in Matthew, Mark and Luke, that Jesus, does, does, he talks about no stone will be left upon another, but the language of destroying the temple and in three days I will raise it up, is only found in John chapter 2, the cleansing of the temple. Now, as a false witness at the end of Mark's Gospel, because Jesus doesn't say, I will destroy it, he says, Jesus says, he answered them, destroy his temple and in three days I will raise it up. But it seems that this event here at the beginning of the Lord's ministry is what the scribes and the chief priests had in mind when they repeated it at the end of Jesus' ministry, even though they record it, report it incorrectly, and so therefore bear false witness against our Lord. All to say, that the cleansing of the temple, I think that there is a good reason to think this is the first, and then the other gospel writers present to us another happening at the end of his ministry, and that's why it is recorded where it is in the synoptic gospels. Another point, why were there animals in the temple? Why were there money changers? Well, because of all these pilgrims. They came for the Passover feast and you had to present, according to the ceremonial law, an animal to sacrifice. 
And if you came from miles and miles and miles around, from across the diaspora, days on foot, it was a benefit, a nice benefit, to be able to come to the temple and to buy your animal there. And you have different animals depending upon your level of income. If you could afford a cow or a bull, you would do that. Otherwise a sheep or a goat. Otherwise the doves, the turtle doves, the pigeons for those on the lowest income. So you came. Animals. Why the money changes? Well they had to present the census tax. They paid taxes in the Bible. And they liked paying taxes in the Bible just as much as we like paying taxes. There was Roman money that had to be converted into the known as the Tyrian shekel in order to pay the temple tax. The census tax was half a shekel as is laid out in Exodus 30. So they had to come, they had to do some exchanging of currency to pay the half shekel temple tax. So, you had people who seemed to be providing a valuable service. Animals for the travelling pilgrims, currency exchange so they can pay the temple tax. It makes sense that they would be in the temple. So again, why is the Lord Jesus so upset? Why does our Lord turn over tables, make a whip of cords, and drive them away? Well, number one, because they were covetous. We read in the other Gospel accounts, he says, you've made this a den of robbers. And even if he had said that a couple of years later, we can assume that that is the same thing that's going on here. A den of robbers. The people who are selling are just not good-natured tradesmen. They are cheats. They are swindlers. They're... Uh, it's a den of robbers and crooks. They're covetous. They're careless. To underline the point, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Jesus isn't saying that you are evil if you work with money or if you trade things. Or if you have a business. This isn't a swipe against trade or commerce or making or exchanging money. At one time the merchants set up across the Kidron Valley, just outside the temple precincts. And that does not seem to have been a problem. It wasn't the service, it was the place they were providing it. That is the contrast. My father's house is a place for worship, a place for reverence, a place for contemplation, a place for devotion, a place for piety. Not a place to make fast money. They were covetous. They were careless. It was not that they were doing the wrong thing, though some of them were doing that. They were doing it in the wrong place. Covetous, careless. And Jesus is also upset because they're callous. The, the sellers and the money changers undoubtedly set up shop in the court of Gentiles. And you had the court of Gentiles, you had the court for the women, and then you had the inner court, and then you had the Holy of Holies. Different levels where different people could approach the temple. And here in the largest area of the temple precincts, the court of the Gentiles is named because this is, this is where, this is the furthest place away from the Holy of Holies 
where the Gentiles, where those who aren't Jews, could approach. It was the only opportunity for Gentiles to draw close to Israel's God, to draw near to the one true God. The temple wasn't meant to be a bazaar. It wasn't meant to be a stock market. It was a holy place where you met God. It was a place of prayer. It wouldn't have been lost on the crowds that they had set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. The only place where the nations could come near to Israel's God. And now there's no room for them there. Because God's people, the Jews, have turned it into a trade in place, a currency exchange. So Jesus is angry because they're covetous, they're callous, they're careless. This is not the place. This is the Lord's house. This is my father's house. And they've made it into a marketplace. So what does this mean? Does it mean that churches shouldn't have books or bookstores or coffee shops? Some churches have a bookstore. We must be aware of danger, but that isn't why Jesus is upset. We don't worship in a temple. This is not a temple. Jesus is the temple, and we as his body are the temple. Calvin said this, the same arguments do not apply to the present day, to our buildings for public worship. There is some application, but it's not one-to-one correspondence. There is something unique about the temple. When we gather for public worship, it's more like the synagogues, where they gathered for their corporate worship. It still has some application for us. As always, the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter, the matter of the heart. And at the heart of this offence were two things that always made our Lord Jesus angry. Two things we see that upset Jesus. Number one, Jesus was always upset when religion became a veneer for greed. The temple authorities had amassed great wealth. We've seen there used to be the traders and the money changers would be on the other side of the Kidron Valley when they approached the temple. Scholars have said that under Caiaphas, the high priest, he was the one who said we should make money out of the temple. And then he brings it under the veneer of religion. It is a perfect cover. We're here to help you in your worship of God. We're here to give you the currency you need. We're here to provide the animals. We're here to worship God and it's a veneer. It was, sorry, they would say that we're here to worship God and provide a service, but it was just a veneer. That's why Jesus said it was a den of robbers. Their thought, their motivation wasn't, how can I serve the people? How could they have served them? They could have just given them a cow. No, but they set up shop to make money under the auspices of the temple administration and under the Sanhedrin to do, to make money under the covering of religious faith. Jesus has little patience for religion that is a a cover, a mask for covetousness and greed. Secondly, the other thing that upsets the Lord is when worship becomes trivialised and ingrowed. God's people were manifesting a profound disregard for the nations coming to know God. Jesus will say at the other cleansing in Mark's Gospel, this is a 
house of prayer for all nations. Jesus is saying that you've missed the vision behind the temple. The temple isn't just a place where you can come together as a club and make money with your people and keep everyone else out. That was never the vision of the temple. At the completion of the first temple, Solomon's temple, 1 Kings 8, verse 41, Likewise, when a foreigner, who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand, and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that may, they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. That was at the dedication of the temple. The nations are going to hear about Israel's God. You've heard the distinction before, roughly speaking, in the Old Testament. It was come and see, and in the New Testament it is go and tell. Now it's only roughly because Jesus also says come and see, but it was a sort of. The nations are going to hear about the glory of Israel, and they're going to come and see. In the New Testament it's go tell them, and then you bring them, and they check it out. The idea was that even Gentiles are going to hear about the God of Israel. And they're going to come, and they're going to come to the temple. The nations are going to come, they're going to pray, and he's going to listen to them. Isaiah 56, verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And you know what happened in first century Judaism? The temple, which for so many had become a Jewish nationalist symbol. It was a place where Gentile worship was obstructed rather than expected. So who cared? Who cares if there were sheep lowing and, and cattle lowing and sheep bleating and pigeons flapping and coins are clanking in the courts of the Gentiles? Who cares if the Gentiles are put off coming? They had money to make. Oh, let us always be on our guard that the house of God is a house of prayer for all nations. The banner that flies over the church of the Lord Jesus is the cross of Jesus. We must always make it clear this is a church for Jesus' people. We have to do everything we can to embrace it. The cross of Christ high and lifted up. The cross when lifted up, Jesus said, that all will come like the snake in the wilderness. The nations will come, the nations will stream. Let this be a house of prayer for all nations and let them know that when they come in, that's who we are and that is what defines us. Jesus was upset in the temple. Religion become heartless, callous, thoughtless, ruthless. It wasn't about prayer or bearing witness. It was about making money. It was about getting through the ritual with as much comfort as possible. Minimal discomfort. We are not identical to Jesus. Calvin said we do not all grab a whip because we aren't granted the same power or given the same commission. But we should burn with zeal as Christ did. His disciples remembered it was written, the zeal of thine house 
had eaten me up. It's probably a play on words here. Jesus was consumed and he, he was burning with zeal. And it means the zeal that he showed would in the end be what consumed him. Because they would kill him for it. I wonder what consumes your passion. For how many could it be said that the zeal for the house of God has eaten them up? Is that what consumes us? Or is our all-consuming passion for the gods of food and family and football? This incident marks the first direct assault on the spiritual bankruptcy of what had become of so much of first century Judaism. And the Jews come then in verse 18 to interrogate him, likely coming from the temple authorities or from the Sanhedrin, the people who had the most to lose. In verse 18, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? They're saying, what gives you the right? Who are you to come in with a whip of cords, messing it all up? Which isn't the first step toward repentance. There was no sense they took an honest self-reflection to what they had to learn from the cleansing of the temple. When you have a soft heart, you take hard moments and you say that was hard, but what can I learn from it? When your heart is hard, like the Jewish leaders, they say, Jesus, what gives you the right? Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they, and they don't understand. No one understands at this point. Three days? It's been 46 years in the making. The first temple was built in Solomon's time, destroyed by the Babylonians, re rebuilt by Zerubbabel, renovated by Herod. That's what they're referring to, the renovations under Herod, which would have been completed before Jesus' ministry. But 40 and 6 years it has taken us to build the temple, and you in three days will raise it up. Jesus' response when he says destroy, he's not saying what he will do. That's why the chief priests bore false witness against Jesus when they said, he said, I will destroy it. He doesn't say, I will destroy, he says, destroy this temple. In other words, it is not a promise of what Jesus will do, but a prophetic word of what they are doing. And in 70 AD, the Romans came, the temple was destroyed. But Jesus is talking more than the earthly temple will be destroyed. He's talking about his body, which is why he says in three days, I will raise it up when he was raised from the grave. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? In the first miracle we saw last week, the wedding at Cana in Galilee, and now in his first confrontation in the temple, Jesus is making it clear to all who have ears to hear, the worship of God's people is exclusively centered on him. Jesus is the new temple. His death will be the lamb to fulfill their sacrifices. His resurrection will be the temple to fulfill their worship. The disciples would get this later. The Jewish leaders don't get it now, for sure. They said, we want a sign. Do you see the irony of it? Jesus has just given them a sign. They wanted a sign, but they had the sign. Jesus will be the new temple. And just as with the old temple, worship centred around that building. In the new covenant, worship centres around 
Jesus. You were not a good Jew if you didn't come and make your pilgrimage to the temple. You were not a good Jew if you did not do your sacrifices at the temple. You were not a good Jew if you didn't sing songs about the temple of God on Mount Zion, his holy hill. Jesus will fulfil all of that. And in just the same way, you will not be a spiritual Jew. You will not be in terms we would later use a Christian if you don't focus on Jesus, if you don't worship him, if your life and worship doesn't revolve around Jesus. The temple was a great blessing to God's people throughout the Old Testament. It was God's plan. He was going to dwell there in the temple, not made by human hands. But over time, the temple had become a talisman, a good luck charm. And God's people were often saying, but the temple. They didn't believe the prophets like Jeremiah when he warned, warned of judgment, because they said, we had the temple. Jesus wants to make it clear who the real temple is, how real worship happens. Jesus says, have you come to the temple? Have you really come to the temple? God hates religion that doesn't have Jesus at the centre. Which means we have to ask ourselves uncomfortable questions. Do you put on a show? Are you trying to fool yourself, your friends, your family, your parents, your children? Are you counting on God being pleased with religious activity? What is your religion really about? Oh my friend, is it about Jesus? Or is it about something else? Anything that is central to our faith other than Jesus. Crucified for sinners. Raised again on the third day for our justification. Every other centre deserves to be driven out with a whip of cords. May you come to Jesus for his namesake. Amen.